Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Unexpected Points. We have a big wrap wrap up for the weekend, some big losses, some big gains for different teams in the playoff race, and of course, all of my proprietary numbers. And we also have a new guest that will be joining us. This all coming to you this week on Unexpected Points. Everybody, uh, first off, you're going to see, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're going to see a couple of different screens here. Um, although one of them has got nice stuff in the background here. One of them looks a little bit like a hostage video, I would say. But that is none other than fellow data scientist at PFF here, Ben Brown, host of the PFF betting pod. Well, what else you got going on at PFF that you want to hype yourself up with? I don't know. That is a good question. I mean... I, I, I'm not necessarily the host of the betting podcast anymore. We did have a structural change. We do have Kendall Valenzuela kind of taking over uh, the hosting responsibilities. I do. It does seem like I'm writing an article basically like every single day of the week for PFF.com, specifically about uh, betting, a little bit of DFS. I know you handle the showdown slate and stuff like that, but uh, some betting content. So get, 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 get involved a little bit behind the scenes as well, but I'm, you know, excited to be here on unexpected points. Obviously listen to it, uh, quite frequently. And I'm, you know, excited to actually get into more of the analytical side of some of these games and how we can, I kind of, you know, evaluate the game reviews and kind of, you know, how that's going to anticipate how that's going to impact, you know, my betting perspective on some of these teams going forward. So definitely appreciate yeah. you having me on Kevin. So, yeah, yeah. Well, this is, uh, this is a podcast for nerds. Right. So with that's ben, why I'm here. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so Ben's probably going to be joining me. Uh, we're looking at on uh, on the Tuesday show going forward. Yeah, so I thought to myself, who is, like, the biggest nerd? The biggest dork? The biggest, I was going to say the biggest loser, but that kind of sounds bad. But That's too mean. That's <laughs> the biggest too degenerate, like, p- potential degeneracy in the gambling space right, also, which we, like to, which we like to hit on here. And, you know, Ben's checking a lot of boxes, checking a right. lot of boxes there. He has uh, the, the nerd bona fides here. So he is going to be uh, the guy to talk here. We're going to go through all the games as usual. And, you know, up top, I always like to explain a little bit before getting into it, because I know that some of you may be new uh maybe watching specifically to hear the breakdown of the monday night football game which we will get into first um just a a little terminology here so for every single game i'm gonna go through the game the betting lines going into the game which i think gives everyone a better perspective sometimes versus the narratives coming into these games of where the market viewed these teams side by side going into it, the actual score, and then what I call my adjusted score, which leans a little bit more heavily on how successful a team is on a play-by-play basis. So downweighting some of the big outlier plays, downweighting some of the big turnovers, downweighting some of the big plays that that you're making uh, in a positive effect on the field, and then also a little bit less weighting on special teams, other things like that. As we go on, you'll see how those scores often are about the same as what a final score is, but sometimes they'll differ, and I'll explain why that is the case for this. So let's just jump straight into the week here. I know what you guys are here for. You're here for the the information. So let's get right to it. We'll start with 
the LA Rams at the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals ended up a three-point favorite, I believe, in this one. There was some movement around two-and-a-half to three to three-and-a-half with Jalen Ramsey being declared out uh, because of COVID, some other injury uh, news that was coming out beforehand. So uh, the Cardinals were a three-point favorite. It was a 51 total, which will uh, come in significantly into what happens at the end of this game, especially uh, props to, I guess, Brian Greasy, if you watch this game. Hopefully he hit the over on this because he was begging for a field goal so badly at the end of this game that I can only assume that he had the over on this one because it did it did cash on that. Uh, 30 to 23, the final score, the Rams win. And my adjusted score is 32 to 22. So it's fairly close to what the actual final score is here. A little bit of a wider margin towards the Rams. And I guess, If I'm going to wrap up this game, if I'm going to say what happened, uh, in my opinion, this was very high-level play from both quarterbacks. You'll see in our numbers, both quarterbacks graded around 90 in this game. Um, But the real differentiation was just a handful of mistakes for the Cardinals, including two big interceptions and then a critical drop from DeAndre Hopkins, something we do not see that often on fourth down. And that was really, you know, sometimes these games just really come down to a handful of plays. And I think that's what made the difference in two Titans that are facing each other, two top-notch teams facing each other that were really throwing haymakers most of the game. But it's really those few plays that went in the Rams' favor that ended up deciding this game. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you 100%. I do think, you know, early on, uh, you know, Cardinals had a successful drive getting into the red zone. That interception from Kyler Murray, I did think, uh, I knew it was probably going to play a role in the entire outcome of the game. If they get points on that drive, obviously, uh, the second half is completely different. So I do agree with you. It was uh, was a pretty impressive performance from both quarterbacks. Uh, Kind of interesting to see, you know, the Rams offense now with, you know, Tyler Higbee, out for out for covid reasons basically it is still 100% cooper cup how how sustainable do you think that is uh from the rams perspective offensively if you know cooper cups averaging you know 16 17 targets a game uh odell beckham junior did look good yesterday but this is definitely uh uh not really you know the offense you know the short average depth of target things that i'm necessarily uh really gravitating towards for long term success how do you kind of evaluate uh their overall offensive performance from that perspective Yeah, I mean, Cup is one of these guys. So I remember coming into the season there, believe it or not, and I'm going to lean on the fantasy world here for sentiment to decide whether what we think about these guys. So for Cup and for Robert Woods, it was almost a pick between those two. Sometimes I think Woods might have even been floating a little bit higher in some some ADP, which really I I even talked about this. This is not just hindsight is 2020. I, I did talk about this. Of course, I'm more... I'm more willing to mention it because I was right on this, but it just, you know, Woods didn't really have the upside. What Woods did was he was playing every single game. He was never getting injured. So he was giving you this consistent sort of performance, whereas Cup had displayed high, high end performance for limited periods of time in the past. Very touchdown dependent, though, uh, uh, sometimes in the past, but he had displayed that high performance. Now, Now, had he displayed greatest receiver season <laughs> in the history of the NFL no and then he that's what he's doing now it's not just like right. oh 17 games versus 16 games he's really doing that right now so how do you display that no but I do think that there is a sustainability to it because of how they're able to move him around maybe there's it's a little bit analogous to Devonte Adams for the Packers and how they've been able to really use him in that sort of way and then you mentioned you know Odo, Odo Beckham coming in he's been very situational I would think and there's right. been a few plays where he's made a difference and then Van Jefferson has become become a little bit of their deep threat 
Uh, he had a very long touchdown catch yeah. against the Packers a few weeks back. He had this long touchdown player. That's kind of become his his thing there. So I do think they can all complement each other. And then we have Cup in that role as being the dominant target catcher. He seems to be able to to do it. So I do think there's obviously going to be some regression, but sustainability to him being a top top notch option going forward. Yeah, definitely. It is really interesting. I mean, he he is doing it when you look back on some of like the greatest, you know, wide receiver seasons ever. He's doing it in a completely different manner. I do think the comparison to Devontae Adams is probably the most similar, but 8.9 average depth of target. He's just, you know, doing it from the slot, doing it kind of on some of these like quick look screens, outs, those sorts of things, and then kind of, you know, generating yards after the catch. It has been really interesting to see uh, that performance and sustainability. Um, I, and I'm not sure kind of how you stop it either, right? So I do think uh, pretty solid performance from the Rams in general. How do you kind of evaluate these two teams moving forward now, right? Obviously, we kind of thought uh, Arizona running away with the NFC West. Uh, Rams had taken, you know, a few steps back over the last couple of weeks. Where do you kind of see these two teams uh, sliding in in the NFC right now? Yeah, I mean, I think they're both up near the top. I mean, I think that's that's what it comes down to. I'm not going to downgrade the Cardinals that much based upon what we saw from a team strength perspective. I think the defense was maybe a little exposed in this game as the least stable, maybe the what we were least confident right. in coming into this game. Uh, they weren't able to get much pressure on Stafford. There's only about a 20% pressure rate in this game. But then again, they were kind of they were really controlling things offensively for the Rams. There were big plays that ended up happening. So I think generally, I still think the Cardinals are a top, top team. And some people may be downgrading them a little bit too much based upon this. There might be like, oh, they were they were a bit fraudulent. But let's remember, this is the same team that you know, had had beaten all the top opponents that they had played coming into this game. So it's not as if they hadn't already beaten the Rams earlier this year. And again, when I talk about just a few plays that it comes down to, so you mentioned there was the tip pass interception. So we had that as the most impactful play of the game. It was over negative uh, six points uh, for expected points. So they lost six points and that was a, a tip and then an interception near the end zone. They would have been up 10 nothing at that point if it didn't happen. Uh, the later interception, which was a mistake by Kyler. We had that as being a mistake that was that you couldn't get over Leonard Floyd. That was tipped. So that was another big play. And then what I think was critical for them in this particular game, and you know, people don't like to hear that, you know, sometimes you're it's almost like you're flipping coins out there, but when it comes down to these fourth downs, they had a big right. fourth down conversion when it was totally necessary on fourth and nine. They had a huge play to Christian Kirk. But aside from that, the ones that were more strategic that they were playing, they had three fourth downs. They had the fourth and one. Uh, from the one-yard line that they went for. It was a huge win probability gain doing it, and they and they score that. Right. They have the fourth and two with a drop where it was a medium gain on that one. So, so Hopkins drops that. And then they have, near the end of the game, fourth and one with Brian Greasy screaming at them to... <laughs> to Punt or kick the field goal, right. <laughs> yeah, right. kick the field goal, kick the field goal, kick the field goal. He's probably like, I can only imagine he was just getting up in the middle of the night just like, field goal, field right. goal, because <laughs> he would not stop about about that field goal. So, so they had that one, and if you look at our numbers for their success, for how often they would be successful on here, and then also, uh, you know, checking this with the numbers that Ben Baldwin has on this, if you just simply add up their expected success rate on these three fourth downs, it comes up to about two. So on average, you're expecting them to convert two out of three. That's where you get the gains from. They only converted one out of three. And that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes you're going to convert three out of three, though, and then you and then you end up winning this game. So I think because of that, that that's, again, another thing where the drop from Hopkins, not converting the fourth and one with James Conner, those two big plays – 
if they if they convert one or two of those, maybe they win this game and we have a whole nother narrative coming out of this week. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree 100 percent. I do think, um, you know, that's where you do need to roll the dice. Definitely made the correct decision. Maybe you don't necessarily want to see them, you know, pound the ball uh, right up the middle with James Conner on that fourth and one, fourth and two situation. But it worked for him at the goal line, right? So I do think uh, there maybe is some well, take to that. But I do think you, I do think you hit the <laughs> nail on the head, work. though. Right. It almost didn't work on the goal line, though. If it wasn't for the right. fact that Conner, like, ran Had into a guy and bounced outside. Yeah. But we, okay, I'll give you a warning here. We don't like to get into too much uh, play calling questioning. We don't want to become, I call right. them the TOCs, the Twitter, the Twitter <laughs> offensive coordinators. So I'll let you get away with this. Maybe I just Let's keep strike a one, you're saying. Is that Let's what you're saying? Strike, strike one, one of so. making too many, too many plays. All we care about, we're the nerds. All we care Locked about is the, is, is, is the decisions. And I think the decisions were correct on this one. So, right. but, but going, okay, going forward, let's talk about going forward here because the Rams were basically out of having a chance of the number one seed. The Cardinals were had a, had a little bit smaller chance, but it was almost evenly divided between them, the Packers, and the Bucks. We'll talk about the Packers and the Bucks, who of course both won their games here. So now the thing that's most impactful for the Cardinals in this one, because they're in the playoffs, so we, we don't have to worry about that. They're probably still going to uh, win the division most likely here, although there's an outside chance that now that that doesn't happen. But the big thing here for them is that they don't have the number one seed. So without the number one seed, is this Cardinals team a team that can make a Super Bowl run, knowing that you're going to have the Bucks or you're going to have the Packers who are going to be sitting at home that first week of the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I I honestly don't think so right now, unfortunately. I do think that you have to have, you know, like you said, the Brady, Rodgers, both, you know, are ahead of them. Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Green Bay Packers are ahead of the Cardinals. After this, after this loss to the Rams, uh, maybe you're not saying that the Rams are better than Arizona, but they can definitely beat Arizona on a neutral field uh, and do it pretty convincingly. So, uh, you know, from that perspective, they could be the fourth best team in the NFC. And then you're kind of talking about, you know, where do they stack up with Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys? And I think that is kind of a really similar tier. So I do put those two teams kind of together as, you know, the back end of of what would be considered like the top teams in the NFC. And I think that uh, I think the Cardinals are sitting at like fourth or fifth, in my opinion. Do you think that's accurate? Or do you have them a little bit higher? Yeah, I think that's fairly accurate. I mean, we'll talk about the, um, the Cowboys a little bit later because yeah, you know, they, they, they've been struggling a little bit here. Right, right, <laughs> Dak right. has not been playing at a high, high level recently. There's been talk about, you know, if something's potentially wrong with this calf people are talking about, maybe there's something going on there. You know, I tend to fade a lot of that type of noise because a lot of it can just be explained by, you know, maybe Dak is a top 10 quarterback, but maybe he's not a top five quarterback. Right. Or maybe he's not the quarterback robot, perfect quarterback playing robot that people were play- were making him out to be earlier this season. I mean, it is a guy that the you know, the the Cowboys hesitated on even signing to a long-term deal right. at one point. So we'll, we'll talk about that as we get through more and more of the games and all the high-level situations. But I guess for my, my high-level takeaway from this game is I'm not changing my opinion on the Cardinals that much coming out of this, whereas everyone may have been a little bit too high in the quote-unquote power rankings that people put out because of their record. Uh, right. When people are being so outcome based, so record based, they're going to drop them significantly, and then they're going to even they're even going to drop them as far as saying, "Well, we can't put them above the Rams now that they lost, <laughs> that they just lost the Rams, even though they beat right. the Rams pretty convincingly right. Early. earlier this year." So all, all of that stuff aside, I think if 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 there, if there is some value on the Cardinals, uh, I don't think it'll necessarily be in betting markets, but I think versus public perception, there could be some value on them right now. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we get into the Sunday night football game, I just want everyone to know that. 
far as the only discount you can get right now, pff.com, 25% off using promo code unexpected for this pod. You get all of the betting content, the DFS content that Ben and I are putting out there. You're going to get access to all of our green line tools and our different betting tools, which are having a very successful year this year when it comes to not only college, uh, but also in the NFL. And you're going to get that for 25% off right now using promo code unexpected. And plus it shows, you know, the higher ups that you enjoy the the pod and the information that you're getting here from us. So I just want to yep. throw that out there before we get into the next Sunday night game. Now this, the Sunday night game ended up being a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And it was the Bears were at the Green Bay Packers. Ended up being 11 and a half points. I think it was 12 and a half for yep. a lot of last week and moved down to 12, finally closing at 11 and a half. I had a little bit of a value on the Bears there. And, you know, it's a 43 point total. So obviously, you, you know, we weren't expecting fireworks in this type of game. And, but the final score was there was Very a lot of fireworks, so. 45 to 30 for Green Bay. The most points I think it was ever scored in a quarter in the second quarter of this game between this rivalry between the Bears <laughs> and the storied rivalry between the Bears and the Packers in the history. And my adjusted score is 39 to 19. So a healthy 20 point victory, a little bit lower for the Packers and much lower for the Bears, mostly because of. All the special teams, all the special right. teams plays that, that were being made there. And those are just not plays that, well, over the course of a season, maybe Jakeem Grant is a little bit better returner than your average returner. You know, you're not expecting 97-yard uh, punt returns in any of these sorts sorts of games. So I think from, from my perspective on this one, you know, the Packers are really surging. And I think that is the takeaway that I've had from this game and from the last several weeks, the Packers were a team where I was relatively low on them for the first half, if not the first three quarters of the season for the fact that they started off poorly. I mean, the first game of the season, they got, they got destroyed, destroyed by, right. by the saints. So that was being that that's, that's weighing less and less in my numbers as time is going on. You know, it's decaying. Those old numbers is coming over. They were relying a little bit more on defense than they were on offense early in the season, which that is flipped around a bit, a bit, although the defense is still playing pretty well. And Aaron Rodgers in particular, uh, they were, you know, they were winning some close games, some games where they weren't necessarily that much better than their opponents. And they've been having more convincing victories recently. So for my, for my numbers that I look at, it just, just looks purely at how the teams have played so far this year. Um, where I'm taking my adjusted scores and making adjustments based upon the opponent. I'm giving a little bit more weight to offense versus defense. I have them as being the fourth best team in the NFL so far by their results this season behind the bucks, behind the bills, behind the Rams actually next. And then right after that, whereas they would have been more in the, you know, even 10 to 12 range, even three, four weeks ago before this run, what, what, what were you seeing in this game specifically? And then the Packers generally, uh, I mean, we'll talk about Justin Fields a little bit, too, but obviously the Bears are not exactly in playoff contention going forward. Yeah, I mean, so this was this was painful for me personally. Of course, I had some, you know, Bears plus 12 and a half. So I uh, felt good. So you were feeling I, pretty I, good in the second I mean, this, quarter. But you, can, it, you never feel that good, though. You, you can, can never feel, feel that, that good. good. But this is the thing. Almost everything went right for the Bears, right? Like, um, yeah. you know, they got, you know, they got the special teams touchdown, had another long touchdown as well. Of course, Justin Fields uh, pick six, not go their way. But you have to expect something not necessarily something along those lines, but you have to expect a little bit of resistance 
when you faced off against the Packers team. And I didn't think the Bears, you know, experienced too much of that in the first half. So the fact that they were there, uh, the fact that they still didn't even come close to even not even winning but even like covering really uh toward the end of this game it just shows how much further away they are uh than the Packers right now and it's kind of it's got to be disheartening to say the least I do think the Bears in general probably need to change obviously Matt Nagy you have him as you know whatever he, whatever he might yeah, be I'm right Matt now Nagy but I hive? Think, no I'm like Matt, Matt Nagy, Nagy hive means like I'm, I'm saying don't drag him out and have him drawn and quartered immediately right. that's like Matt Nagy hive just do that next week, basically, I would say. Yeah. So we'll see. But, <laughs> Just, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, I agree with you, right? Like, early on in the season, the Packers, not overly impressive, did have some injuries to their defense, which I thought was actually going to make them regress in that category a little bit. They actually haven't fallen off whatsoever. Uh, and they're a team that is kind of getting healthier, which is one of the few teams that you can actually say that, right? Jerry Alexander, back from IR, didn't play this week, probably going to be playing next week. At some point, they're going to have David Bacchiardi back as well. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, think, I feel like <laughs> he's got to be back, right? So This is like, he he's like, um, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like every week, it's like, oh, I'll be back. Well, no, we're next week. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we've right. got a long window here for them. Right. We've still got another four weeks of the regular season to go. Right, definitely. So he's back, and then like, you know, Alan Lazard looked like they kind of like that number two receiver that they kind of need, right? Obviously, the running out the corpse of Randall Cobb, uh, you know, helps Aaron Rodgers' mojo or something. I'm not quite sure, but he doesn't, he isn't necessarily the guy that they need as that secondary slot receiver option. I do think Alan Lazard is definitely there. So I don't know. I'm excited about the Packers right now. I do think from a betting perspective, uh, they are the team and the NFC to probably wager on here because I think that, uh, um, you know, they've shown the ability to beat Tampa Bay down in Tampa here. And I do think that that's probably how the NFC championship game is going to play out. So that's, that's where my money has been over the last couple of weeks. Uh, mainly, you know, based on the fact that their offense is, you know, unstoppable when they actually wanted to be. And I do think Matt LaFleur putting his team in the best situation possible as often as possible. And that's all we can really ask for. So I do think either Aaron Rodgers, maybe MVP candidate. I know you might have something to say about that, but I think Matt LaFleur coach of the year is probably uh, where my betting money is at as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, LaFleur has this absolutely insane record to right. start his career. I, I, I can't even remember what it was now, but basically, you know, they had 12 and 4 season, and then this season they're going to do, you know, who knows what, how good they're going to have. They're going to have 12, 13 wins this season at least. And then, you know, the, he had maybe one slightly downish sort of year, but they were in. So I agree with the Packers. If anything, again, I don't know if betting markets are going to be fooled by this. But you know the thought is going to be, well, when you get into the playoffs, the Packers are somehow not going to perform as you're hoping they're going to because they had that blowout loss to the 49ers a, a, a few a, a couple years ago. They had the loss at home against the Bucks last year. So I, I guarantee you that narrative is going to be floating around out there right. about Packers, playoffs, championship game that's when they crumble that's when they that's when they crumble so i expect that going forward but if they can get that number one seed it's just so so huge in this format now we only right. have one one team with the number one seed and again like i said for aaron Rodgers, he is putting together his best performances he's up now to you know near the top of the league in grading and in his efficiency by epa per play which is going to put him in position i think to be in the mvp competition but we'll i'll talk about that in one second in re, especially in relation to the to the betting markets but let's talk about justin fields for a second because that's the only consideration that you really care about as a bears fan here i thought he looked okay in this game he did have long touchdowns one of them to demir bird one of them to 
Jakeem Grant, which I think that was technically a touchdown because it was one of those little, like, right. jet, you know, little uh, shovel passes on there where those were a bit cheap. He had, you know, his normal, you know, some, some boneheaded plays holding the ball too long and uh, strip sacks, things like that, that he's, he's been known for. I thought they catered the offense. Maybe hopefully I didn't hear as much um, of the, you know, the, the the who I call the football media cool kids on Twitter complaining about Matt Nagy as much as usual because they were rolling him out. They were using play action. Um, but his numbers from our perspective, he still had a grade that was under 50. Right. He still had about negative quarter uh, expected point per per play, which is pretty bad. Um, but he's one of these guys who doesn't seem to be doing that well in the metrics. But from the eye test, at least you're seeing something from right. him where you're not seeing a lot from guys like Zach Wilson, who we'll talk about later. Well, what's your opinion on Fields and what the Bears have going forward with him? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I, I've been the biggest Fields probably truther that uh, exists right now. I did like him a lot coming out of the draft. Obviously, he was... Uh, the person that I thought was going to go third overall to the San Francisco 49ers, that didn't work out. I do think he, outside of Matt Nagy, I do think he landed in a pretty, uh, I guess I won't say that. I don't think he landed in all that great of a situation with the Chicago <laughs> Bears. I'm, like I'm walking like back that, on yeah. that a little bit, but I agree with you, right? Like our, you know, PFF pass grades are far 56.5, definitely below average. Um, but in saying that, I do think he has shown some ability to be able to extend plays. That's things that, uh, you know, people think Patrick Mahomes does really well, being able to kind of move outside the pocket, make some of those throws downfield. Fields is obviously looking to run a lot more than Patrick Mahomes is, but I do think he has, you know, at least somewhat of those similar traits where he's actually able to extend plays, give his receivers enough time downfield uh, to get open. We haven't seen him do that a whole lot because he's only been scrambling, basically, uh, in the game plan around him, especially this one, 7.8 average depth of target. Uh, I think that's the second lowest of the season so far. I think something like 72% of his yards came after the catch. So I think those are kind of influencing how his game grade turned out for us. No big-time throws, no real decent completions downfield. Everything was yards after the catch. So, um, But I think he, he did enough to at least put his team, you know, close uh, close to being able to, uh, you know, cover the spread against the Packers in Lambeau. Uh, and I think that is saying something. Unfortunately, Aaron Rodgers is just unstoppable on the other side and, and, and does actually own the Chicago Bears. So we'll see if... Uh, they're ever able to actually get over the hump there or if it's going to be Aaron Rodgers moving on to a different division and conference before the before the Bears are really relevant here in the NFC North but I like yeah, Fields I, I, I have that all relationship. season yeah. that relationship for with the Packers I see some some thought seem, some thought going it's coming together it does seem well, like well I mean you know, Rodgers has to think to himself like, where could he, like, where what's better, really the right? chance that we're going right. to get this high level play? And they've been so consistently good. Again, we talk about, I've talked about the um, the record that they've had with Lafleur there. I mean, if if you're almost a guarantee to get into the playoffs and to be a Every high level year, yeah. team, it's really hard to walk away with that with so few, uh, so little time left in your career. Now, what I want right. to talk about you 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 hinted at the MVP talk. So, this MVP discussion, in my opinion, it's a war that's going on here. It's going to be a war between. <laughs> between efficiency nerds like us and like others and those who are looking at counting stats in this one. Because if you look at Tom Brady and you look at Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, Rodgers is playing better than Brady recently, especially over the last few weeks. If you look at him, he's second in his expected points added per play this season. Brady's down at fifth. His grading has been moving up into close, getting closer to the top five, and Brady's been near the top. But what's, what's really the difference here between the two 
is that Brady has 73 more pass attempts at this point. Some of that because of the additional game, the game that Rodgers missed. Some of that because their offense is a higher volume passing offense this year. So 73 more pass attempts, nine, almost 900 more passing yards right now. And also nine more touchdowns now plus six more interceptions don't get me wrong but somehow that's going to be you know discounted and thrown out thrown out the window and they're just going to point to those gaudy gaudy numbers so that's really what Rodgers is competing at because if you think about it if he's playing as efficiently on a per play basis the Packers are going are right now the number one seed in the NFC and have about I would say about the same chance as the Bucks of getting it because the Bucks have a little bit easier schedule going forward so let's say it's a coin toss between that happening Yet, we flip to the MVP markets, and right now, Brady has an implied probability of winning of 60%, maybe even a little bit more than 60%. Rodgers is down at 15%. So, for two teams where the quarterbacks are basically playing at the same level of efficiency-wise, they basically have the same probability of, of having the optics of being the number one team in the NFC, yet we're deciding that Brady has four times the chance of Rodgers of winning the MVP award. I think they may be right because, you know, if I followed MVP voter Twitter, I'd probably get a much different impression than following all the nerds I follow who are looking at things on an efficiency, the correct way on a per play basis versus the absolute numbers. But what do you think about this race here? Is it possible that Rodgers can win even if he's trailing Brady by hundreds of yards, by five, six, seven touchdowns, all those sorts of absolute counting numbers going into the voting in the offseason? Yeah, I I don't think he is going to I don't think he's going to win based on that fact alone, right? And I'm so glad that I'm not involved in MVP uh writer Twitter cuz that sounds like sounds like really really dark place, <laughs> something that I don't want to be involved with. Well, whatsoever. most don't don't know how to turn their computer on probably. Right, so right, right. So, how do you flip uh, this yeah, PDF flip. anyways or something anyways? But yeah. yeah. Um I don't I I I think I think that they value, uh, you know, the counting stats a little bit too much for Rodgers to really get there without some really dominant performances towards the latter half of the se- or like towards you know this last four games. If they get in the number one seed, I think he definitely does deserve uh, the MVP candidacy. Um, it is a little bit of a popularity contest. Obviously, Tom Brady uh, is the most popular player in the NFL, so I do think Rodgers is probably fighting a little bit of an uphill battle this year. I, I know you don't necessarily buy into this either, but given the fact that it is a popularity contest, I do think that Rodgers' both mentality and attitude heading into the season and then kind of what he's displayed uh, in his public settings uh, throughout the season, I think they is that, do is have that a, some... Is that a euphemism for... I've, I've heard people call him throw... A throw, throw Rogan, throw Rogan or something. That's throw, I throw mean, Rogan that's, of that's Joe Brad Rogan. Spielberger basically for us coming up with like the best nickname imaginable. Well, what about blah, blah, okay? Blah. I think even a bigger factor because again, these writers, I don't know how much they're really gonna. How about the right. fact that he won last year? Because a lot that's, of people think that's, that that's a big factor. But you know, you look into the past. Favre won three straight MVPs. Peyton Manning won multiple MVPs. Although I think he shared one of them with. Um, uh, that was, name escapes yeah. me now. With the, the guy who's on the Titans. Um, Steve McNair. He shared one with Steve McNair where I think it was in back-to-back years. So there's some precedent there. But um, I would I would say in those situations, though, like those guys were so far ahead of of the rest of the quarterback class at that point yeah. in time that that it, that it, it was almost like they had to right. Whereas now we have there's 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 a couple of really good NFL quarterbacks every single year, and then there's a couple of guys 
younger guys kind of moving up, trying to get into that upper echelon. So I do think there's a lot more competition, I guess, uh, than those three years. So I do think there is a little bit of voter fatigue as far as if this guy won it last year. So from that from that perspective, I do think there's some like outside factors that we're not necessarily accounting for that probably are pulling Rodgers down a little bit. And that's kind of, you know, reflective of it reflective in his overall MVP odds right now but I I want to bet on Rodgers I do think he is the I do think he has been the most valuable player to his team this year and that's what I would be voting on if I had a vote I definitely don't have a vote I don't want to vote either I guess um um, I'll take so a if anybody's asking. I'll take, yeah, I'll take give Kevin. Give Kevin, Kevin my out, too. I, I will take it. So here's okay. What, it was one factor. Again, I'm I'm kind of stretching to make this to make this work. But here's here's a factor. So next week, I believe it's prime time. I believe it's Sunday Night Football, unless it's getting flexed in one direction or another. Bucks Saints. The Saints are a little bit of a kryptonite for 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 Brady. He had you know a, an ugly optic performance uh, against them. He's had negative EPA three out of the five times that they've played so far. So when he's been on the, on the Bucks, so that's that's number one. Or I'm sorry, three out of the four times that they played so far. That's number one. Number two, as of now, week 17, so not the final week of the season, but the second to last week of the season, as of now, Sunday Night Football is scheduled to be Vikings-Packers. So Rodgers dominates, clinches number one seed, right. eliminates the Vikings from the playoffs, has a has a masterful game. At the same time, you know Brady's out there like beating up on the Jets or somebody that week or the Panthers. I don't know who he's At playing. New something, like, basically. Yeah. yeah so yeah. like those two things. That's what I'm waiting for. That's what I'm waiting for. A really a really bad performance again against his kryptonite, and then and then the the Vikings. Him showing that he owns another another team there. He'll be he'll be you know he's just like setting up shop all over the NFC North. Yeah. Um, the 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 lions are not worth owning. That's like the the worst real estate of <laughs> you're right. you're like selling you're selling that immediately. But it's showing that he owns the NFC North. So that's that that's that's my case, and we'll see if it ends up happening. But let's like- let's move on. If you don't mind, we're, we're, I, sorry, we're just going a little bit long here. So let, let me move on to the to, to the next game real quickly here. And I know this is a game that I tasked you with watching. So let's talk about the Bucks. So we can bring Brady into this discussion. Okay, so Bills. Bucks, I think it was probably the biggest game of the weekend non Monday Night Football edition for for certain. The Bucks were a two three and a half point favorite. It opened, I think, at three, and then it moves up to three and a half. Um, fifty two and a half total ends up being thirty three twenty seven. My adjusted scores. Now I may need to adjust my adjustments on this, but it had it being almost an equal game in this one, despite the fact that the Bucks were up by so much early. And then we saw this, you know, rapid comeback by the Bills. What did you think watching this this game? Did you think it was two equals playing against each other? Um, because halfway through this game, after I had gone out on a ledge a little bit last week saying that the Bills were an underrated elite team, the way things were going, not only were was Buffalo going to implode and just blow up they're just gonna like blow up themselves they're probably gonna take me with them after right. saying that and getting their hopes up because things were looking really really ugly halfway through this game yeah definitely and they, and they might need to take you with them at this point I don't know <laughs> I I I this and the Buffalo Bills have been a really tough handicap I think all season right um they kind of been a team people don't necessarily want to say Josh Allen is regressing or you know using these sorts of terms and stuff like that but there is something that seems fundamentally wrong or off than where they were at last year, right? And I do think Josh Allen can be, you know, a top top five, top three NFL quarterback in the NFL, but he does need some situations to go, right? He does need, you know, the guys around him in some ways to elevate him. He does need his coaching 
uh, you know, coaches and those sorts of things making the right decisions for him. And I do think that he kind of gets up to that level. I don't think he has that same structure around him this year, unfortunately. Sean McDermott looks uh, lost at times making some of these fourth down decisions. I thought uh, that they essentially punted the game away on fourth and three, on fourth and two toward the end of the third quarter when they decided to punt. They did end up getting, what was it, three stops against Tom Brady, did end up making it a game, getting back there into overtime. But uh, there's just those sorts of situations where they were aggressive to the point that they needed to be last year, and they just haven't shown that yet this year. I do think Brian DeBowell still is putting them offensively in the right positioning, but I don't think that, you know, Stefan Diggs has necessarily been uh, as dominant. I do think he was sort of this, like, Cooper Cup level play from last year, you know, maybe a tear down or something like that, but he hasn't necessarily been all that involved. So now it's been more of a distri- distribution of a lot of guys getting targets in this offense. And I just don't think it's being as productive as it was last year. So I have some doubts. I think there's some cracks in this foundation for the Buffalo Bills right now. Uh, I don't think this game was as close. Uh, as what you know, the score indicated even at the end with them getting into overtime because they were definitely getting blown out here. They did end up getting some stops defensively, but I still think their defense is kind of fragile without Tre'Davious White as well. So uh, they're a team that I'm just not buying into the AFC. I'm wondering, kind of, how did you see this game, right? Because you had it a lot closer than what uh, it looked yeah. like from my perspective. So yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So it was one of these games where their success rates were fairly similar. Now right. the the Bills ended up throwing it a lot more, which is going to give them a little bit of a boost there because your baseline success rate throwing the ball is going to be a little bit higher than your baseline success rate running the ball. So that gives a little boost there. What I saw in this game, going hashtag film here, so if you want to skip forward, the true nerds don't even want to hear this. They're going to cover your ears, Ears unplug your headphones, skip forward here. But what I saw in this game, and honestly, I didn't see some of uh, the second half. It was a little bit more sparse because of the fact that um, it wasn't showing up on red zone as much because right. the Bucks weren't doing anything basically. But what I saw in the first half from the Bucks, the long Leonard Fournette run, that was troubling because we saw the the running game that the 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 Patriots ran them into the ground and the Colts had run them into the ground before that. So I think that's a little bit troubling. But I do think this defense has stepped up enough this season. I think their baseline level of play on defense has stepped up enough for the fact that while Allen's regressing, he's not regressing close to 2019 Josh Allen. 2019 Josh Allen didn't have a 60% completion percentage, okay? Like, he he never in his life, he had been above 60% completion percentage going going into 2020. So, so even though he's regressing some, that defense is stepping up. And from what I saw outside of that four-night run, I saw Tom Brady making some ridiculous throws. I mean, the touchdown to Evans, uh, some other plays that he was making, he was making high, high high-level plays. And it seemed like, in the second half, some of that started to go away for them. And then some of the high-level plays that Josh Allen could make, he was he was making there in the second half. So I'm not as down on them coming out of this game. I think the general opinion that I'm kind of feeling out in the atmosphere is that this is like one of these moral victory sort of situations here, moral losses. I don't know what you call it. But anyway, they lost, but they don't maybe feel as bad here. We'll talk about the record and all that going forward. But and you, may, I think the biggest problem that I've had with them whether it's last game or it's this game, is what's going on with Sean McDermott. Because you mentioned the fourth down stuff. So if we're going to count every mistake that he made, and these are ones where I'm not counting situations that coaches would never assume to go for it. You know, where there's a small edge and, you know, it's like fourth and six from their own 15, but they're down so many points. Like, I'm not counting those ones that sometimes show up on the radar. But if you count a two-point decision, or maybe even two two two-point decisions, and fourth down decisions, 
it was about four and a half, five percent win probability that was lost in the in these games. And on top of that, in the second half, when they came out and then they did the fake punt where you know, just put your offense out there on, on fourth and three. I don't know what, like, you're kind of overthinking that one. This is not a surprise when you're getting crushed and you have the ball, you know, on your own side of the field. Yes, but you're not like in your own, within your own 10 yard line or something. You're going for it there. So they had that. You mentioned they kicked an, uh, a punt another time. And then I also think it's a little bit interesting, the extra point versus two pointer discussion. These are ones that t- people typically don't do, but when they're down 11 and they're down four, those are two situations where, According to the numbers, you do go for two there because you're trying to win in regulation. And I don't know if we've seen the go down by four because that would just blow people's mind completely. It, like if you didn't, if, you did, if they didn't finish that, it would just, it, you just see like, you'd see Phil Sims, uh, that whole CBS crew, there would just be like bits of <laughs> brain <explosion>. matter all <laughs> over, all over the walls there. Um, if, if that happened, um, but that is one that I have seen the down 11 before. Right. In fact, when I was when I was defending Harbaugh on the on the Twitter streets yesterday, there was a video from when he did this a couple of years ago. And it's kind of like the whole when you're down eight thing that people are a little bit more familiar with, which is, you know, you make the first two, then you can kick an extra point and win in overtime. But if you miss the first two, then you can decide to go for two again and then potentially right. tie. And then, of course, in the situation where you miss both, you lose. You lose by two points, but who cares if you lose by two points or not? So you're kind of getting an enhancement there. It's a similar situation except for it's with a field goal and and a potential touchdown. So you go for it there. So you get within nine. If you if you don't get in, you're within eleven. Then you can go for it again on your next in your next touchdown attempt. So he did not do that. So all those different combined you combine that, you combine some poor decisions the last week. I don't understand why they didn't choose to uh, receive the ball against the Patriots and then they could get the wind in the fourth quarter. That's what um, Stefanski did just this week and had done other windy situations. So there's all these decisions for McDermott where, again, it's, it's playing around the edges. We can't see all the other stuff that's going on. But if you're consistently giving up 4 or 5% win probability in a matchup like the Bucks, where you need every a- edge you can have, that's a little troubling for me. Right, right. Definitely, 100%. And, and kind of like you touched on, you highlighted uh, as well a little bit, like their performance of one-score games. Uh, and and some yeah. in some ways people think that is fluky, but if you're continually dumping win probability of four and five percent all over the field, right? Like like you're not going to perform well in that games. And the only reason that you are playing some of those one score games is because Josh Allen actually is playing quite well still. So uh, I, I agree with you. Like there's just there's spots where you need the coach to at least provide uh, some opportunity for you to actually win when they don't do that. Uh, that is kind of what I see as far as the differential in a lot of these one-score games, and I think that uh, we're seeing that play out in the Bills' record here in 2021. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just uh, I have a, a note here from a uh, friend of the friend of the pod, Shiel uh, Kapadia, where he mentions he has some some stats here in the one-score game. So the Bills are 0 and 5 in one-score games. Now, if you think about one-score games, typically a way to think about them is they're almost like coin flips generally. Right. So. Um, so if you add, you know, if you figure if they would have won, let's say two out of these five one score games, they would be, you know, they'd have nine wins instead of seven wins right now. Um, but anyway, so they're 0 and five in one score games. The only other team without a win in one score games is Houston with 0 and two. And it looks like the worst seasons of recent memory, the Bengals were 0 and six in one score games in 2019 and the Panthers were 0 and seven in 2012. And those are like bad teams. So the bills, you know, 
if they could get a little bit more juice from that. I still think they might be a little bit undervalued. Again, they're still up there. They're still in the top, right. you know, a couple of teams, according to my numbers for how they perform this year. I know they've had poor competition. I know everything else, but they're at least staying very close, according to my adjusted scores, in these games, but they just, they're just they just losing them, um, and that should flip around. The, the problem is the more of these, like, again, these moral victories that they're getting when they're not actually getting real victories, the more and more of these you get, your playoff probability starts to dip further and further down, and if you don't make the playoffs, then it doesn't really matter how strong of a team you are right, going into right. the playoffs, and that's that's going to be that's gonna be the case. And talking about some teams that are potentially facing some strength issues going into the playoffs – uh, let's flip to the NFC, I mean the AFC North here battle between the Ravens and the Cleveland Browns. The Browns two and a half point favorites. It was a 44 point total. It ended 24-22. This is another one of these games where we had a huge lead and then a big comeback that failed at the end. And my adjusted score had it pretty close. I was surprised it was 25-22. I thought it might be a little bit further towards the Browns because of that, but. Um, well, okay, so, so one thing I want to bring in right off of the top for perspective on this, because I think it's pretty easy to build the story that Lamar, okay, injuries are all over the place for the Ravens. Lamar Jackson gets injured, then they come back, they only lose by two points, so therefore, if Lamar Jackson played, they win kind of situation. And the only context I'll give for that, you, you know, that's fine. You know, if you want to, if you want to play out all of that in your head that way, I think that's fine. But the only context that I want to give for that is Lamar was not playing well to start the game. The Ravens were doing nothing offensively to start the game. And they did not have a first down, I don't believe, when, when he was in there. Or they had one first down in the first drive, and that was it. Um, so when Lamar got injured... They, he left. It was a third and long situation. They didn't convert. They gave the ball back to the Browns. The Browns marched down to score a touchdown there. At that point, the Browns are up 17-0 in this game. So even if Lamar didn't get injured, it would have been 17-0. According to win probability calculators, the Browns were already well, you know, over 90% chance of winning at that point. So, you know, I just put that into context. They were already kind of in a world of pain a little bit on the road here before Lamar went out. But it is, you know, disappointing again for the Browns, but at least you're getting some disappointing wins rather than some disappointing losses as they've had so far this season. What what did you see in this game? Yeah, I mean, I think Tyler Huntley actually played pretty well that, you know, bring them back into this match. But I do think it was the Browns defense that, uh, you know, kind of allowed them to escape with a victory. I think they had a number of pressures, number of sacks and high leverage situations. So, uh, you know, Miles Garrett still looking like that defense play of the year. Cleveland Browns, one of the best teams in the NFL uh, outside of the quarterback position. Right? I don't think there's too many teams that have the same level of talent. Uh, maybe, you know, especially defensively, offensively, there are some questions with, you know, guys on the outside, especially Jarvis Landy, Donovan Peoples-Jones had a couple nice catches down the field as well along the sidelines. So um, I like it. I mean, the, 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 I think the analytical discussion coming out of this one, I know we talked for about, you know, going for two down eight uh, in the last game. There is a lot more discussion about going for two down nine with, you know, John Harbaugh early on. I think that, that, that is a preposterous conversation from my perspective. Cause it's like, I, I get I don't I, well I don't necessarily get but I do understand people who don't want you to go uh, for two down eight but the fact that people are 
arguing some sort of momentum based opportunity loss because you don't go don't go for two down nine is just like absurd, right? And I think that is like maybe the litmus test for analytics once that can kind of at least be mainstream to the point where people understand you should be going for two down nine every single time right away to get the most information as quickly as possible so that you can make the right decisions going forward. Uh, and, and until we get to that point, there's always going to be this huge disconnect between analytics and I think everybody else because uh, if, if they can't grasp that simple of a concept, then uh, the rest of the thing is, I guess, just like window dressing at this point to me is kind of my takeaway from this matchup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are two things when it comes to these decisions. There's the actual gain that you're getting right. out of it, and then there's the 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 logic, the story, how you can frame it. This situation of going for two down nine, I mean, Harbaugh laid it out in about 20 30 seconds. seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very clear because, like, you want to you know the information. I mean, think about it. If, you, if you're going in for that, that last touchdown – if you know you're down nine or you're down um, eight going in there, if you're down eight, okay, let, let's say in this in this situation, um, you don't know that you're going to make that that two point conversion at the end. So so again, you don't right. have that knowledge. But again, so so if you put yourself in a situation where you're down nine or you're down seven. If you're down seven and you're going to score at the end, you don't want to leave any time. You would like you leave any even 20, 30 seconds. You're giving them a chance of making a field goal to come back on the other side. So you know that. Whereas if you're down nine, you're trying to score as quickly as possible because you need to get the ball back. So very, very simple concept. But the gain that you're actually getting from that is much smaller than the down eight gain. But the down eight gain is more diff- more difficult to explain, just Grass, like the down 11 yeah. thing I was talking about is more difficult to explain. And it's more difficult to explain even why if you're down three touchdowns and it's fourth and four on your own 32-yard line, you should be going for it there. That's more difficult to explain, but you get a much, much bigger gain out of it. So I agree with you that from the, you know, the pure nerd analytics perspective, it's not that big of a deal because you're just kind of unlikely to, to come back. But right. from a logical standpoint... If you're not running these opaque models, it's such an obvious thing to do that it's a little disconcerting that the discussions that we see where the coaches are just way ahead now. Now the coaches are way ahead of the the mainstream analysts that we see. Guys like Harbaugh, guys like Staley, guys like Stefanski, um, even others that, that, that like have been Frank doing Reich, this. That you would, that, right. Yeah, that you, that you wouldn't expect are much are much better at being able to to explain this. So that's 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 one one part of it there. Um Let's talk about Baker Mayfield quickly because you mentioned everything but the quarterback. So I think in some ways this was like a good game and a bad – well, bad game and a good game. I think we have to it's start a Baker, with that. It's a Baker game and then it's, it's a Baker you're game. describing, so, right? So Yeah, so the thing is we've had this, this Baker – like everything has to be perfect around him in order to win. So you got a great defensive performance, but you got a defensive touchdown, right, out of uh, out of Miles Garrett on the, you know, strip sack. He, he had the, uh, the, the, the sack – a forced fumble, fumble recovery, touchdown. He hit, he hit for the cycle there on that play for, for Miles Garrett. Um, so he had the great defensive performance. This is a defense that has had a very, very good success rate this season. They haven't been as good as their actual results and their efficiency because they've been giving up a lot of third downs. They've had difficulty on third down, difficulty on fourth down too, where the Chargers converted like a billion fourth downs against them in that game. So they have a strong defense. The running game actually flopped in this one. The running game was right. bad in this one. So... Baker did do enough. I think at one point he had completed like 15 out of his first 16 or 17 passes. 
uh, a little heavy, heavily reliant upon DPIs. I think there were three or four DPI and illegal contact in order to move down the field. But he did do enough with a good defensive performance when the running game was dead against a very banged up secondary for for the Ravens to get things done. But yeah, we're getting further and further, and we don't need to rehash this because I've kind of talked about this before on a week-by-week basis. I'm like, what are the Browns going to do? What are the Browns going to do? What are the Browns going to do? But we really are getting a better and better look, I think, every week at the fact that this is a very, very well-constructed team that with that quarterback piece... I mean, they're like they could compete with anyone if they could right. just get a little bit higher quarterback play out of it where they don't need like if, if you, you have to be able to win a game sometimes where not only the running game is not working, but the defense is not working all the way. And I think Baker needs can't do that. If the two other factors are going against them, he, you have no chance of, of winning um, and you especially can have no chance of winning if you're not playing, you know, Tyler Huntley and you're not playing a banged up uh, Ravens team. Right, definitely. And, and and to your point, I do think, um, I agree 100%. I do think they are kind of uh, the perfect roster right now for, you know, a rookie call, rookie signal caller potentially to come in here uh, and at least give them enough uh, what about a to vet? be relevant. Let's talk, let's talk vets real fast. What about, what about Russell Wilson? I mean, yeah, that would be, I think that has to be close to the dream scenario. Will anyone right? take I, Baker Mayfield in a trade? Like, well, well, will the Seahawks, if you gave the Seahawks Baker Mayfield, first of all, the Seahawks fans are are completely high when they think you're going to get, like, three first-round picks right, for, right. for Russell Wilson, the way that he's been playing. But let's say you gave him, like, a first-round pick and a second-round pick and, and like maybe a, a future first, maybe, yeah. maybe a future first, and then you throw in, you know, Baker Mayfield um, – and his his ability to like sell product on commercials, maybe right. maybe that's what you market. You're like this guy could like could, could sell some uh, Birkenstocks or whatever the hell that they're 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 buying out there in Seattle. Um, what else have been like that? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely do it from the Browns' perspective. I, might I want honestly a veteran, think, honestly, if you can yeah, get a good I, veteran, because I might want someone who can step in. I don't know if we want to roll the dice again. We rolled the dice on the number one pick. Didn't me, work out like whatsoever. Being, like I'm part of the Browns franchise. You are part of the Browns franchise for sure. In so my they heart, are, I am. Yeah, they are your they are your closet team. Um, honestly, I do think Russell Wilson is the dream scenario. I think the holdup for that is the Seattle Seahawks, right? Because I still think yeah. Pete Carroll's probably going to think he's in win now mode or something. He's not going to do it for draft picks. He's going to want somebody like you know Denzel Ward on the defensive side, or you know not necessarily Miles <laughs> okay. Garrett. Okay, but I they can want give him Denzel Ward. I can give him. Right. De- I love Denzel. Uh, but you know, I, I can give him Denzel War. Can we give him Greedy Williams? That guy gets give him Greedy. I mean, I just give him the whole secondary, basically, or something. He's a like first round pick. Happens, yeah, so. actually, early second round pick. I uh, like yeah, Denzel yeah. Ward quite a bit, actually. So, uh, but I think I think that's probably where Seattle would lead, uh, just based on where they've been at pr- previously. But hey, I don't know. I DK, honestly, I DK honestly, and Gino, DK and Gino are like are like brothers, right? You know? No, I yeah. I agree with that. I think I honestly think something has to change in Seattle. Not to go completely off topic, but it's either yeah. Russell Wilson's out or Pete Carroll's out. Hopefully both are out. I don't, I'm not quite sure, but okay, uh, we we we, yeah, for them. we can talk a little bit more about that as we hopefully only do like a one or two minute review of the right <laughs> the, the, rest, the yeah. Texans. Although there was it was a little it was an interesting game. But before we get on to the rest of our reviews, we got a number left here. Uh, let's talk sponsors. Let's talk DraftKings. Let's talk making some money out here, uh, cash money. Football fans. I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner 
once a single point is scored, bet $1 on any team to score, and you win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. Even if the sports book isn't available in your state yet, you can get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Free shot and millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. Now that you're ready to make your your bets, let's talk about a loser for old me here. And this is another one where you guys are going to think I'm cheating on the on the adjusted scores here because this is Falcons at Carolina Panthers. Panthers two and a half point favorites. It did. I'm not sure if it flirted with three or not. I don't think so. Two and a half point favorites. 41 and a half total. 29-21 Atlanta. I actually have Carolina as being a couple points better according to my justice score. I see that look. You think I'm cheating. I'm not cheating, and I'll explain why in a second here. So this was a big loser, but we actually got Carolina at minus two. Um, so it, it it moved a little bit more in that in that direction there. I think that was available at BetMGM or someplace. So let, let me let me just explain before I start. As the before you come in on me, the prosecution, before the prosecution comes in on me, I'm going to have a chance to to direct direct this here. So the internals were a lot better on the Panthers than they were on the Falcons, just generally. They had a higher success rate, but all the outlier plays went against them. Now, you could say, well, it's one of those situations where, you know, if my if my aunt had a you-know-what, then she'd be my uncle sort of situation. Like, you can, you can only say, you can only say, you know, you can only make so many adjustments here. So if you watch this game, though, The Panthers go down and score. They look pretty good coming back. The pick six was absolute killer. So you don't want to wipe things off of the board, but that's a pretty big play. It was more than 10 expected points lost on the pick six. And then later, they're still in this game. They have this weird play where, I don't know, it was the guard or the center, steps on Cam Newton's foot where he's going to hand the ball off, and then they fumble the ball at midfield. It's second and three at midfield. So that's a great place to have it. So a huge play there. And then, of course, they're just awful on fourth down, and the Falcons were really good on, on third and fourth down. So, again, it affected the result. It's part of the game. I'm not saying it shouldn't count, but when the Falcons are converting, you know, third and 11s with screen passes and swing passes and things like that, and the the Panthers can't do anything, even though I know they look pathetic and it's in disarray over there, that's the reason that it has it there. Now, should it be more like a tie maybe? M- maybe that's more like what, what it should have been. But the point would be generally that it's closer than you think and that this Atlanta Falcons team is really probably a top bottom five team in the NFL. They're so bad, but yet they can just continue to win. I don't know how they're doing it. They just continue, continue to win. It's not just my numbers that say that. I think they were 32nd in DVOA. They were dead last in DVOA going into this last week. So anyway, I'll let you, I'll, 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 that's my, that's my case. That's my case. And I, 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 I swear on the analytics Bible that I did not cheat these numbers here to say that it looked better for the Panthers just because I said it was a best bet this week. Okay. Well, I, I had the opposite side, so I would have agreed. I would have disagreed with you last week. I, I was on the Falcons plus two and a half. 
pretty heavily, so I do appreciate the big swinging plays. I didn't watch this one all that close. I will say that um, as far as Atlanta in general, uh, Matt Ryan's scrappy. Arthur Smith is scrappy, right? I mean, things have not gone well. Scrappy, from, of course. come on, no, scrappy. I'm throwing Calvin. that out. Objection, objection. <laughs> scrappy cannot be entered into the it's record. Not a, it's not an analytics uh, discussion no. topic, basically. No, I yeah. agree. I mean, look, Atlanta. All they do is cover this year. I'm not saying yeah. that they're anywhere close to, you know, should be in the playoff playoff race. They are actually kind of in the thick of things right now. Um, I think it's I kind know. of interesting setup. Nothing has gone right for them outside of, you know, um, off the field, basically with, you know, Kelvin Ridley situation. Obviously, hopefully he gets back, get returned to where he once was. But that was a pretty significant loss to the offense. Defensively, AJ Trell has been the lone bright spot, right? Uh, like you said, 32nd DVOA. I think they're, you know, very similar ranking in PFF's opponent adjusted grades. Let me look that up here real quick. Um, we have them. Uh, yeah, yeah, we do have them 32nd. Uh, worst yeah. defense in the NFL. They stink. So they stink. I mean, and so I think but, going back but to it, Cam, the only Cam thing, Newton the only stinks even worse. Yeah, Cam, the only Cam explanation Newton. is Matt Ryan's scrappy, I think, is all you That's can take scrappy. away from that. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess. I, that, that, that's that's not bad. Well, okay, let me say first. I'm just uh, can we get collective? I need collective prayers. I don't believe in, I, I don't necessarily. I'm not a big believer in the power of prayer, but we need collective prayers that the Atlanta Falcons do not make it into the playoffs, the playoffs as the seventh seed because it's just disgusting. I can't. I, we cannot have this team make it. I don't care. Even if it's the Saints, I'd rather see Taysom Hill running around no, and no. that and that defense doing something <laughs> than. To see this team end up making it, uh, I mean, Washington football teams better. Anyone, I'll take anyone being better on there. Um, so I'll say that number one. Number two is a little bit of I will do a mea culpa in the fact that my numbers assumes maybe incorrectly that Cam Newton is not going to be that much worse than Sam Darnold. But maybe at this point he's worse than he's even worse than Sam Darnold. So maybe I should have right. lowered them by a point or two based upon that, which would have thrown off my my numbers there. And number two, there may be like if you could. I remember Eric Eager, our our um, colleague, has talked about late in the season you can like add a tanking variable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the 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 Jaguars probably fall fall into that category right now. But maybe there's another variable for like the coach is on tilt and doesn't know it doesn't know what's going on now because Matt Rule fires Joe Brady. Like it's Cam Newton and then it's PJ Walker comes in. And I'm not sure if it's because of the fact that they had turnovers that they brought PJ Walker in. Or if it's a two, like Cam doesn't know the two minute drill. He's been there for weeks. Like what, what the hell right. do you need to know? And the two minute drill comes in immediately throws an awful interception because he's not good. Like it didn't end up actually affecting them because the Falcons ran out of time. And then later in the game, then they go back to Cam Newton and then they bring back PJ Walker later on. Like you're not a you're not a Temple anymore, buddy. You're not you're not at, at Baylor. You're not whatever you think you got going on over there. The guy is on tilt and he doesn't know what's happening here. So maybe that's something to consider going forward for the Panthers. Is that Matt Rule is just lost all focus, and maybe he will be a hot seat guy because they I think they play the Bucks twice. To, yeah, they have the, the rest Bills. Of the season. They have the Bills here coming up next week, basically. In like if Buffalo. they go zero and four, I thought there was no chance of a hot seat for him. But if they go zero and four after this performance, which was just pathetic, man, things things are getting rough. Things, things are getting are rough, dark. and they're probably gonna have to go back to Darnold. That if, like he's gonna get healthy. If this continues, he's gonna magically get healthy. And you might want to give him some shot. I mean, you're, you're on the hook for 19 million next year. Right. Maybe you want to see something from 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 him. 
Right. I mean, I might be le- I might be resting too much on my you know XFL uh, synopsis from <laughs> prior seasons and those sorts of things. I did not watch this game that closely, full disclosure. But I do think PJ Walker is the best quarterback that can play for Carolina right now. And I'll just say he, I that. I mean, that might be true, but let me just tell you, results have not been good. Not been good. Have not been good. I mean, it's possible. He can't. Cam Cam is is like I guess he just turns into a pumpkin at the end of the season. I thought right. maybe he'd have a little longer window because he didn't. He wasn't getting beat up all year long. But too many body yeah. blows. Too many body blows, man. It's tough out there in those streets. Too so. too many body blows. Yeah, the Falcons look like they're about a 15, 20 percent chance of making the playoffs. Um, they. This is from Eric Eager here. Their point differential this year is negative one hundred and eight points. Whereas there was negative 18 last season when they were four and 12, it's a negative 108 right now. And they're six and seven. So right. please win big, God, lose big. Me. What else do you want from us? Basically Football right? God, help so. us out here. Okay. Let's, let's get to another game, which I know you were studying in intense detail, despite right. the fact of being a total complete blowout here. And that's the Las Vegas Raiders at the Kansas city chiefs, uh, Kansas city, nine and a half point favorites, 48 total, which Kansas City hit all by itself, 48 to 9, the biggest margin of victory in the history of this rivalry, which, you know, they've been in the same division for a while now. And my adjusted score has it 34 to 14, so quite quite a bit closer, although still pretty much a blowout here. Kansas City got, for instance, the fumble six was a big thing. Right away. First play of the game, fumble six. And this is one of the rare opportunities where you could say, the game started with a fumble six for the Raiders, and it may have gotten worse after that. Like that may not have <laughs> that may not have been the 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 worst moment for this team in this game with all the different turnovers here. What did you see from this? Number one and number two, the big question is going to be, you know, Kansas City again. They beat up. They play pretty well offensively, but so many big turnovers. Not really much resistance. Can we take anything away from this game for Kansas City and their chances to get into like a top, top team in the NFL and a real Super Bowl contender still? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Raiders had some really bad turnovers, right? They were actually somewhat efficient moving the football, I would say. Hunter Renfro uh, had a really solid game. Really the only option in that passing game with no Darren Waller so uh, I don't think the takeaway is that the Chiefs were all that great defensively obviously um, you know the early fumble six like you touched on pretty significant swing they also had you know an interception that bounced off Foster Moreau's hands uh, as well that they intercepted and then I think Hunter Renfro also had uh, a fumble so uh, a lot of swingy plays on drives that they were actually moving pretty effectively and on the flip side of that the Chiefs offensively relied heavily on third down I think we we had them roughly at like an 85 percent third down efficiency metrics. So they were kind of just wasting away on the first two downs, kind of relying on Patrick Mahomes' brilliance on third down to continue drives moving on. Also had some help from uh, the penalties perspective. I think they had three first downs uh, move the chains because of third down penalties uh, from that angle. So I don't know. I don't really, I don't really think it was a sustainable offensive or defensive performance from the Chiefs. I do think uh, they're probably going to be you know, everyone's the talk's going to be that they're back, right? Like they are uh, the team to beat in the AFC right now. And I do agree with that, but it's more so the fact that uh, nobody else in the AFC is all that great from my perspective. The Chiefs might be, you know, the best of what is not that great uh, of a bunch of teams right now. Because I don't really buy into the New England Patriots. I don't really buy into the Buffalo Bills. So I do have the Chiefs number one overall, but a lot of the play, especially from this game, uh, was kind of unsustainable. And I don't know if it's uh, uh, really... We're going to reflect 
properly or uh, correctly for them here going forward. So so we'll see. I do think Patrick Mahomes handled the pressure really well. I think uh, Raiders had roughly 16, 16 pressures, um, kind of did what they needed to do, didn't really have to blitz a whole lot uh, to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes, but he was just able to kind of slide outside of the pocket, uh, you know, make some throws downfield when play kind of got extended one to Byron Pringle. I thought was a really big play and then, you know, kind of was able to salt away the second half. So uh, I think the takeaway from everyone else is going to be uh, the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. And I don't really think uh, they're there yet just based on uh, kind of the unsustainable nature of how they actually uh, performed in this matchup. I don't know. I, I'm getting a much more lukewarm vibe from where what people are thinking about Thank the you. Chiefs because okay. because I mean it didn't look that great. It didn't look that good right. in that in this game. Uh, it was the third best game of the season for Mahomes as far as his efficiency and EPA per play. But if you look at the the other Raiders game was number five. So the third and the in the fifth best games this season are number five. And if you look at all the top, I think it's six or seven performances. All the rest of them are week six or earlier. So it's still basically been Patrick Mahomes turned into a pumpkin around week seven. And other than these two Raiders games, it's not, nothing has been has been working for them so far. And it's the same thing when it comes to to grading. And even the way that the offense is working. I mean, 23-yard touchdown passes to Darrell Williams. Like, is that what you want your offense to be if you're the Kansas right. City Chiefs? Uh, I think Kelsey had fewer than 30 yards in this game. Uh, Tyreek Hill, again, he had some catches, but he was not nearly the type of offense we saw last year where it was so narrow. It was focused on those two guys getting that high, high-level play consistently on a week-by-week basis. We're not seeing that right now. So I do think there is some skepticism there. And you mentioned the turnovers they got and the third down. Those are the two things that the turnovers were going against them heavily to start the season. So when you had these awesome performances by the offense, they were getting mitigated by poor defense and poor turnover luck. So that's flipped around. And then when Mahomes hasn't been playing well offensively, they've still been winning with good defense, but they haven't been converting third down. So they got the third downs here. And that is something that throughout his career, Mahomes has shown there's some sustainability to that, that he, that he can do that. Uh, so again, like you want to see this performance. You don't want to see a bad performance. You don't want to see another struggling performance, but for me, I'm still hesitant on them. And I have my, my three scale. You you probably don't know about this where I I change it where you can be on my radar, then you're on notice and then you're canceled. I haven't canceled anyone in a while. I did cancel urban Meyer. We'll talk about that. So that was, that was prescient. That was prescient earlier this season. (laughs) So the chiefs had moved all the way to being on notice. I'm going to Move them back. So they're just on my radar at this at okay. this point. The Chiefs okay. office is just on my radar. But, you know, I'm a nerd, so I want to just go by the numbers and not go by the narrative too far. If I was just going by the narrative, I'd keep them on notice. But I'm moving them. You, 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 good results. I, I give you some credit. Moving them on, on my radar. But going forward, I'm still going to be still watching them like a hawk going forward. Because right. in moments notice, you could be back on you could be back on notice and maybe even canceled, Chiefs. If this goes you never want to get you never want to get to that point. I I agree yeah. with you. I do think I do think my takeaway is I know it's going to be popular as well, but we really want to see the Chiefs' offense uh, kind of do this against you know the dreaded too high look that has given them so much you know early early drama early on in the season. Of course, you know Raiders continue to play uh, cover three. Um, cover three coverage, you know, I think that was really exploitable, especially on third down for the Chiefs. They were kind of being able to do whatever they wanted, sit in zones, 
you know, a couple, one, probably one of their best drives. They had 19 yard completion to Tyreek Hill, 19 yard completion to Travis Kelsey, both just kind of sitting in the gaps in that cover three zone. So until they do it, you know, against this high cover two look that was giving them problems early in the season, uh, I don't think, um, I don't think that it's necessarily worth buying into fully for the Chiefs right now. Yep, yep. Uh, let's get into some hopefully quick reviews here. Very quick. Uh, the Saints at the Jets. Saints were a five and a half point favorite. Forty-two total ends up thirty-two nine. New Orleans wins. My adjusted score twenty-eight to seven. So very very close here. Uh, there's no better way to end a five-game losing streak than facing the Jets, and I think that's what we saw in this game. Uh, 183 yards rushing for the Saints on their design runs, 120 from Kamara, another 53 from Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill had some good numbers. I mean, as much as I hate on the guy, 72 grade, uh, 0.22 EPA per play, which is pretty strong, but only a four and a half a dot. He never attempted a pass that was more than 20 yards downfield. And just like a truly awful offensive performance from the Jets, they had a 25% success rate passing the ball, which is in the bottom one percentile. So, it's like one out of 100 games, you're going to have it this bad. And the Saints have a good defense, but still, there were some drops. Don't don't get me wrong, but still, Wilson is just, he's getting you, like, optically, if you look at his grading and his EPA, it's actually close to someone like Justin Fields, but there's really just nowhere near the positivity, even slight bit of positivity around him. And what's funny is I did a little call out on Twitter to ask, you know, what's going on with Mike LaFleur? Because people love to slam offensive coordinators and play callers when things aren't going right. But everyone seems pretty good about LaFleur. And they're just really saying Wilson is in trouble. So so the Saints playoff chances now, just quickly talk about them before talking about Wilson for a second. So they're up to 25, 30% to make the playoffs. Nobody wants to see them either, but this is a team member that like they beat the Bucks earlier this year with not so great quarterback play. So I do think they're an interesting team. They f- finish the season with the Bucks next week, then the Dolphins, the Panthers, and the Falcons. So those are winnable games outside of that Bucks game. So they're an interesting team to potentially play in the playoffs. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk really quickly about Wilson because I feel like. He's got these traits, and I do think he has displayed traits. So there is something to potential upside. Like, if you want to make this Josh Allen type of argument, like, there's a little bit more to that than there would have been with someone like maybe Tua after last year. But I was advocating for the Dolphins to think about potentially drafting a good quarterback. There's not really a quarterback out there like this year. I don't think there's any chance that, that the Jets would say, hey, let's look to replace Zach Wilson. But what do you do if you're midway through the second season and your offense is is playing a lot better when you bring in Joe Flacco than when you have right. your 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 number 2 overall pick. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the spot that you want to be in for the New York Jets, right? Obviously, um if they go into next year and that is still the case, uh you know, Robert Sala, those guys are all kind of on the hot seat, right? I mean, that's just not the situation that you want to have whatsoever. I haven't I was high on Zach Wilson kind of heading into this 2021 season. I was probably listening to our, you know, friend and colleague, Eric Eager, just a little bit too much, the hype man for Zach Wilson. Don't, uh, but don't, he just, don't deflect. He just, don't deflect. Blame don't here. deflect. Don't deflect. He is not, <laughs> he, but he has not shown anything whatsoever. Like, like, yeah. um, you know, outside of Trey Lance, who hasn't played, uh, you know, Zach Wilson and the expectation for him 
uh, has dropped considerably. Um, but they need they need to get him reps here. They need to get him in the in you know he needs to play the rest of the season um, and actually show something. I don't think the situation around him has been all that great or stable. They've obviously had a rash of injuries at the wide receiver position, um, which makes it maybe a little bit more difficult for a rookie quarterback. But times are tough. I don't know I don't know what they can do. But I I agree with you. There's nobody uh, really coming out of this quarterback class here in 2022 that's probably going to be worth resetting on. So uh, it looks like. Once again, maybe a multi-year rebuild for the New York Jets in 2023, and hopefully they, they can land um, you know, a decent opportunity in that draft class because I do think that's going to be uh, much better for high-end talent than what we have what we have available yeah, in 2022. Yeah. I mean, I, I like Salah, so hopefully he's not a casualty. Um, right. Right, not going to be after one year for sure, but hopefully Next he's not year, even yeah. a casualty going, going forward. And, I mean, like I said, he is – like he looks twitchy. He looks like he can move around pretty well. He has a decent arm on some throws, and other ones he's just like spiking it into the ground inexplicably. Right. So, yeah, a little, hopefully that can turn around. But it's just – a good thing for Jets fans is you've been beaten down for so long that I don't, I don't even sense that right. much. It's just like, okay, that's another one. There goes another Weird. one at, at this point. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's uh, get into a little bit more interesting game here. The Cowboys at the Washington football team. Cowboys were six and a half point favorites. It was a 48 total on this one. Ends up, uh, sorry, over betters, 27 to 20. And I have Dallas as 21 to 14. So equal point differential, but both teams' offenses probably weren't as good. We had some defensive touchdowns uh, in particular, defense, big different plays for the Cowboys. Uh, game of runs. Started off 24 nothing for the Cowboys. Another one of those games where Washington couldn't ever come back. What did you think watching this game? Did you think that this was like a legit comeback for the the football team here? Or was this... Because it seemed a little bit more like the Cowboys imploding a bit offensively, right. and I didn't know what's going on with Dak. Like, what's our worry level on Dak going forward? All that sort of stuff. And we hinted at it before. Like, are they still this elite team now that you have these other teams in the NFC that are separating? A lot to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and it has been 100%, you know, rely, not necessarily 100% reliance, but heavy reliance on their defense that was not going to be the expectation heading into the 2021 season. Obviously, Micah Parsons looks like an actual legitimate contender for that defense player of the year candidacy. Uh, Randy Gregory back healthy. Uh, so their defense... Uh, is where it needs to be for them to actually knock off a team uh, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like the Green Bay Packers. But offensively, they have not looked right since Dak Prescott returned from injury. So um, I think you need to see uh, some semblance of you know productive, efficient offense moving the football for an entire game. There were flashes of that once again, but uh, you know Dak Prescott's pick six towards the end of the game basically is just cannot happen whatsoever right like that's yeah that's yeah, the that's the sort of play that like you know you can lose seasons on those sorts of things because it was just such a bad play um um so from that perspective i don't really think this game was all that close thankfully washington's not that good uh interesting line movement kind of up to up from four and a half to six and a half in this matchup uh did pay off at the end uh no thanks to dak prescott but i do think uh you know Dallas has still got a number of questions offensively, so I really need I really need to see you know an actual solid performance for them before I'm really buying into them as you know top four, top three team in the NFC is kind of my takeaway. What are, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, yeah. I mean the line movement. I think it was. Pro- I mean I don't know the exact timing of it, but we had the decimation of the defensive front for Washington with different guys being declared out and and COVID and everything else that was happening there. So. I think that was probably part of it. But again, you like you didn't see 
the Cowboys really take advantage of it. Right. So I think that's a problem. And do you want to do you want to guess in uh, ranking for the quarterbacks so far this year in EPA per play? Uh, out of the 34 qualifying quarterbacks I have, do you have any any guess where Dak Prescott ranks right now? You want you want to take? I think he's like guess? 15th or something like that. Maybe 21st. Oh 21st. Run spot above Ty- Taylor Heineke right now. Okay, so <laughs> things have been rough. Things have been rough for old Dak. He's 12th in grading, so it's not that bad. But still, you're talking about 12th is like your right. upside out of the two different categories. And we've never graded him that well. And typically, he's been better from a efficiency perspective than our grading perspective but he's right. you know there i think there are some issues in this game here uh the running game was not was, was was pretty good that was the one thing that ended up uh carrying washington in this game is that they had a pretty good running game but even the running game was not very good for the cowboys with all those guys missing up front so yeah y- you take your victories where you can get them so i think that's good for the cowboys they're basically in um they're not going to get the number one seed and it's really just about, I think, for Dak somewhat getting healthy. I mean, I think they're a candidate above almost anyone rest. else in the NFL of could they take a week or two off at the end right. of the season, and right? Should I think, they? right. Yeah, should yeah. they? With the 17-week season, there is a lot of competition and a lot of competition to get into the playoffs, a lot of competition for the first seed. So we're not going to see a lot of teams taking weeks off. But I do think these middle teams who can't get to that first seed won't fall out of the playoffs. One of them being the Cowboys, the other maybe being the Titans, um, are going to be two teams where maybe maybe they'll take a week or two off at the end of the season. So I do think that's a possibility, especially with Dak hurting a bit, that may be the best way for them to go. Uh, let me hit uh, the last ad here before we get into the, the rest of the games here. Western and Southern, you want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday and will cover your catering up to $2,500. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th. 2022 and don't forget to check out the chris collinsworth podcast and western and southern's instagram for answers to the best questions each week submit your questions at western and southern.com slash ask chris one more time that's western and southern.com slash ask chris if you're watching on youtube check out the link in the description below remember with western and southern you can rest assured on game day okay let's get back to the reviews the last handful here and i'm gonna flip it over to San Francisco 49ers at Cincinnati Bengals. San Francisco, two and a half point favorites in Cincinnati. 49 total ends up 26-23. I had Cincy being a better team, 30 to 26 in this game. This is another one where it was a lead and then a comeback. And you can explain it pretty easily. There were multiple muffed punts that they lost. And they also had a taunting call, which led to a swing there because it was going to be a long field goal for the 49ers on the taunting call, and they eventually ended up scoring a touchdown from from George Kittle on that one. So this game is probably, you know, it's bad for the Bengals. I'm sensing dread in Cincinnati. So neither of us are in Cincinnati, but I'm sensing a cloud of dread over Cincinnati. But the more I look into this, you know, I'm not that worried. I think the problem 
for them, from what I saw here, is there's this discussion of whether you need to trust Burrow a little bit more. Uh, they're, they're, they're still 4% under expectation they're passing. They passed a lot on this game, but their expectation was really high because they were down here. They've been a team that's been below expectation passing a lot. Some of that to protect Joe Burrow, who has the second highest sack rate in the NFL right now between Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, rookies who kind of don't know what they're doing. They're taking a lot of sacks. Burrow has the highest ratio of sacks to pressure. So he is getting sacked more often than anyone else in the NFL when he is being pressured. He had the catastrophic knee injury that he, that he came back from this season. I do see some worry with that, with turning things over to Burrow, but he's playing out of his mind. He had the best grade of the week for us, completed 74% of his passes, 348 yards, 10 yards per attempt, five big-time throws, everything else that he's doing there. But again, five sacks in this game. So what do you think about that dynamic? Because I think the Cincinnati offense is probably the one thing to really talk about here is Burrow playing at the super, super high level, but they're not really letting him direct the entire offense like he was doing to a degree last year. But then we saw what happened with the injury last year, and he's still right. taking a lot of sacks this year. So how do you weigh those things against each other? Yeah, I think I think you have to let him loose, right? I think, you know, injury concerns, they are what they are. I don't think you can necessarily, um, you know, be conservative in that area when you're trying to win football games. Injuries, you know, happen at all times throughout the course of a football game, no matter what you're kind of trying to do. Uh, if you're playing a little bit too conservative, uh, in some ways that could induce an injury as well. So I think you got to let him loose. I think Burrow's kind of succeeding uh, despite Zach Taylor. I know, you know, we talk about is a coach actually elevating the talent on the field. I don't think Zach Taylor's necessarily doing that right now. Um, 0.2 EPA per passing attempt in this matchup, 10 explosive pass plays, uh, and they still don't end up winning, right? So uh, there might be, you know, some concerning things coming out of it, but I don't think that the takeaway is that their offense isn't productive. Uh, this was a spot, uh, you know, down eight do you kick the extra point do you go for two uh if they would have gone for two and gotten it obviously they wouldn't have had to go into overtime um so you know from that perspective as well as zach taylor i think kind of fails the initial test so uh i think i i, I buy into that i buy into joe burrow in the offense i don't buy into zach taylor so there's a, this interesting dynamic of how do you kind of assess both those situations and how do you kind of evaluate cincinnati Bengals going forward um i think I think Joey Franchise is the guy, uh, and I think he can definitely carry this team as far as, you know, Zach Taylor lets him. How 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 far will he actually let him go uh, is kind of the main takeaway for me in this matchup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, so Taylor is catching some heat, and it's, it's surprising a bit because optically, if you just look at the fact that they were doing so well before this last six-game stretch where they've lost four of the last six games – that you almost had to like shoehorn them into a coach of the year discussion because their expectations were so low coming into this year. But yeah, so this Shanahan is a well-known like boomer when it comes to fourth down decision-making, but Taylor out boomered him in this right. one, because in this game, you mentioned the two point conversion. He didn't go for fourth and one from the 19. They don't go fourth and two from the 10. They don't go fourth and one now, which is all the way on their own. 34 yard line, but still only fourth and one, a pretty big gain there. They also don't go on that. Now, San Francisco didn't go for their own fourth and two, but again, Shannon, Shannon's a well-established boomer. Um, Shanahan's a well-established boomer, but so Taylor is just doing this and he's, like you said, he's not turning over the offense to a very efficient passing attack 
consistently this year. So maybe you need to figure out some way to protect Joe Burrow a little bit better also on, on these types of plays. Um, so this is, this is the portion that we're going to come to. I'm going to go a little bit of a rant here. This is really when I pander to a particular struggling fan base for the purpose of, so lock in for a little bit here. Sorry, sorry, Ben, lock, lock in for a little bit here. So this is this portion where I pander to a, a struggling fan base for uh, Twitter followers and uh, hopefully podcast listeners as they, right. they eat this up. So Bengals fans, let me say, I know you're struggling a bit here. Let me try to put things in perspective. Maybe not put your mind at ease, but give you a, a dose of serenity here in what has been a, a tough week after this loss here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three numbers to think about, Bengals fans. The three numbers are 25, 22, and 21. What are these numbers? These are the ages, respectively, of Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase. This is, this is the long game we're thinking about here. This is an offensive core that you're going to have for the next 5, 10, maybe even 15 years with the way some of these players are playing now, nowadays. So you're focused on these last six weeks. Yeah, you lost four out of the last six games. Yeah, you had some tough games that have happened here. Right, well, let's think about the long term, what's going on here. And not only is your 25-year-old quarterback the second highest graded quarterback in the NFL right now, your 22-year-old wide receiver, T. Higgins, had 900 yards last year. He's going to easily hit 1,000 so far this year. Your 21-year-old rookie wide receiver, Jamar Chase, he struggled a little bit recently. He's had some drops, but guess what? Fifth in the NFL in receiving yards, tied for third in the NFL in touchdowns. And this is all in a season where... Your win projection going into this season was six and a half games. You're already at seven games so far. Joe Burrow is healthy. This team's all coming together. This is a defense that's playing like a top 10 defense after being well in the 20s for years in the past. So this is not just about this year. This is not just about making the playoffs. This is not just about winning the division. This is about a team that has been built that now you have to enjoy that's going to be a perennial playoff team, a perennial Super Bowl contender going forward. So take that in, take a deep breath of that, let it out, relax, a little mantra if you need it. Just remember, 25, 22, 21, you are set for the next 10 years plus. Okay, so I hope, hope Bengals fans, you feel a little bit better after that. You can repeat that, and maybe I'll clip it out, and you can repeat that if you need to, if you're feeling stressed this, this week with everything that's going on. And... Zach Taylor, guess what? You're not locked into that guy. So if you want to give him the boot, go ahead. (laughs) You don't have to worry about him being there for the next 10, 15 years. Okay, next game here. We talked about the Seahawks a little bit versus the Houston Texans. Uh, Nine-point favorite, 40 total, 40-and-a-half total, 33-13. to So surprisingly high scoring here. My score actually had it 32-21, so even a little bit tighter. And you wouldn't be that concerned about 32-21, but... I'll tell you, watching this game, the Texans march right down the field with, with, on their first drive. And this game, they, they consistently were moving the ball here. They couldn't convert a third down to save their life, but they were moving the ball on first and second down very well. So if you look at this game, I think there's a little perspective needs to come into play here that maybe isn't fully illustrated in the final score. This was a six-point deficit. It was 19-13 to 13 with two minutes left in the third quarter. 
the Texans had the ball first and 10 at the Seahawks 41. They 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 blew that drive and, and ended up kicking it away. Then they give it back to the Seahawks. Seahawks do nothing. They get the ball back again at the early in the fourth quarter. 19 again, down by less than a touchdown. They had first and 10 then from the Seahawks 48. Again, they get to the Seahawks side of the field and they don't do anything, but still a little too close for comfort in this game. And I know they had a lot of big plays here. Russ was cooking with Tyler Lockett. They had long Rashad Penny touchdown runs, which is maybe not the most reliable thing to go on here. So optically, it ended up being a decent score. But if anything, my takeaway from this was, eh, you know, still not great for the Seahawks. And maybe they have like an outside, outside chance of getting back in the playoff mix. But this result was not heartening for me for thinking that this team, oh, maybe this is the old Seahawks that we're expecting coming back. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. 0.26 EPA uh, per rush attempt in this game. Obviously, Rashad Penny looked good, uh, but just not sustainable against a team that isn't, you know, the Houston Texans or the Jacksonville Jaguars. So uh, definitely want to see, definitely want to see a decent performance from the Seahawks offensively when they're actually going up against a legitimate NFL team, uh, you know, a, cal- a playoff caliber team or those something like that. But I'm not ready to put them anywhere close to the playoff race. I don't think they're going to do enough this year. So. We'll see how things end up. I'm going back to what I said early on in the podcast. Something needs to change in Seattle. I'm not sure if it's Russ or Pete or both, but but I think uh, and I think one or two or maybe both of those guys are going to be gone after this year. There's this weird dynamic, and I'm I'm going to point this out here, where because this was a good game for Russ, I think like Russ can almost play himself out of town in a way. And let me, let me just say why it's kind of as it goes, this discussion, we were talking about what would the Browns have to give up? I think the, what a team is willing to give is like here at this point for Russ, whereas perception is not generally, and especially amongst Seahawks kind of fans and others is like here. So we need to get this up, right? We need to get this up a bit. And this is not going to move that much, no matter how bad or good Russ is this season. But if Russ can go on a hot streak, maybe a team can start to convince themselves. And if you start to get more of an equilibrium, a trade can actually happen. Otherwise, I just think it's going to be tough to trade. Like, all the Seahawks fans would be like, oh, where are three first-round picks for the Seattle Seahawks? And maybe there's not going to be anyone out there willing, willing to give that. So, Russ... Continue this. You may actually be able to play your way out of town if you if you continue to, pl- to play this well to get a team to to go for it. Uh, okay, talk about another. Talk about the Jaguars. You mentioned the Jaguars being one of the worst teams in the NFL. Well, guess what? We had the Jaguars at the Tennessee Titans, eight and a half point favorite for the Titans, forty four point total, twenty to zero, twenty four to six. My adjusted score. This was a winner here. I had the the Tennessee minus eight and eight and a half. Congratulations to me. Um, and you know how there are certain games where the coach is embattled by the media, everyone's surrounding them, and a team just comes together, and they show their love and pride for their coach, kind of like what I with Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions when they got that first victory. But what we saw in this game was, was that, except for it was like the exact opposite, basically. <laughs> this was what right. we saw in this game. This was one of the worst offensive performances of the year, four interceptions, from uh, Trevor Lawrence. They did absolutely nothing, no chance to do to, to get anything going here. Tennessee didn't have to be good at all in order to go ahead and notch this victory here. So, you know, we heard the the, the news, of the I mean, very humorous, honestly, uh, him calling everyone losers that are his assistant coaches, everything else. And I, I will hit back, if anyone wants to go back to 
the offseason, before the season even started, I canceled Urban Meyer back Thank in early you. September, before the season, and I even called it overdue. I called it overdue at that point. The final straw for me, after he, you know, came in and the strength coach he brought in, who he had to reverse immediately because of things that happened there, then he goes and he drafts Travis Etienne in the first round, but then says that he actually wanted to get Kadarius Tony, but then he got Etienne, and it's just like, what are you doing? And the, uh, and then, you know, we're going to just make him into a receiver role. That was a weird thing that going on. Then this fake quarterback competition that he that he was wasting reps. That's what that's what put me over the edge, because and what it hinted at then and what I said at that point, And I think this is really playing out now is that what it hinted at then is in the NFL. These are adults. These are professionals. You're not going to okie doke these guys. You, they're getting millions of dollars a year. They don't need you. They're not going to be gone in a year here. You're not King Supreme on this team. If you put on a fake quarterback competition, when everyone in the building knows that it's fake, no one is buying it. You are not being upfront and honest with your players. And that's what seems to be playing out over and over and over again. What players don't necessarily care if you yell at them a lot if you're a rah-rah guy, if you're a silent guy, if you're an intellectual coach, what they want is someone who's going to be genuine and someone who right. they know where they stand. And you're just not getting that from him. And that's what we're hearing about in these articles. You're hearing about the fact that he playing James Robinson. He blames it on everyone else. And then supposedly it was actually his decision. He's getting into arguments with a highly respected veteran like, like Marvin Jones. It's just playing over and over and over again that he thinks he can do what he wants, deflect blame, and that what would happen at the college level is because he's the king on campus, that everyone turns over in, in a year or two, he builds right. a new class, and he starts all over again. Well, guess what? You can't do that in the NFL. And the failure that we're seeing here, while it's even more spectacular than I would have assumed, this is something that we knew was going to happen. And honestly, I don't know how he makes it to next year. I know that he's got the dreaded vote of confidence from the owner, but how can you continue forward with this, especially when you have – the generational quarterback prospect who is now getting worse at the end of the season. Right. Right. Definitely. I mean, that, that is, that is 100% it, right? Like are, is urban Meyer continuing on in Jacksonville doing some, you know, actual damage to Trevor Lawrence, long-term, long-term outlook. And I think, uh, you know, what you just said, uh, it definitely seems to be, it should be at least a factor of consideration, right? I don't know if it's actually going to be uh, impacting gratefully his long-term outlook, but any chance that it does uh, absolutely has to be taken care of, of as quickly as possible. And there's, and there's, and there's at least enough shadow of a doubt where it could be happening uh, that they need to move on from Urban Meyer. And they probably should have done it yesterday or the day before or last week. Uh, they haven't yet, but they need to do it probably as soon as possible. And that's my only takeaway outside of the fact that, uh, you know, Mike Brable, Continues to do what he needs to do to win football games. It may not be pretty. Uh, it may not be, you know, the best offense performance. But uh, he knows how to take care of teams that are really, really bad. And I kind of, I at least respect Vrabel for that regard. So, we'll see. I think I think the, I think the, uh, the handshake between Vrabel and uh, Urban Meyer at the end of the game was probably my favorite moment of Week 14, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not reading too much into that. People are like, oh, they used to work together. Like, Vrabel understands that Urban Meyer is in a world of pain. So right, he, right. I don't think he's like expecting some like, hey, how you Hug, doing, buddy? Yeah. Like, and, and, and anyone who's been around Meyer for more than like five seconds can tell that he's not exactly even keel when it comes to that. He's not like I'm not going to get too low. Like he's low. He gets he gets real low. He's, he is you know eating pizza eating, yeah. eating pizza in the tunnel. That 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 picture. He's he's beyond that at this point. He's like under the tunnel eating pizza at this point. He's so, living in the tunnel. I think is where he's, he's living at in right the tunnel. Now, so, wait, so one thing about the Titans, I'll say is. 
So they have a two-game lead over the Colts, and they have the tiebreaker, so a, a de facto three-game lead over the Colts. They don't, they're not really going to get the bye, I don't think. I don't think they're going to get the bye. So this is another team where I, I'm wondering if they could shut things down early because if they win just one game, the Colts need to go 4-0 in order to, to to win the division, which is highly, highly unlikely. So, like, two games from now, if the if the Colts have lost a game and they've won a game, it's already over. It's already over. So any point that that happens, they could shut things down for the season. So I think that's an interesting thing they may want to do because of the fact they've had all these injuries. Julio is, like, a risk to be injured. He didn't do much this game. I think he had three yards, but he's a risk to be injured at any point. So I'll be looking for that uh, going forward. Okay, let's hit the last couple of games here. First, I'm going to go um, Detroit Lions at... Denver Broncos, 12 and a half point favorite for Denver, 42 total. They win 38 to 10. I had the score at 34 to 20, so a little bit closer. Kind of like boring but dominant performance. Uh, they ran the ball a ton. I think they ran the ball 18 out of the first 23 plays on those first couple of drives. They had a 90th percentile efficiency in both rushing and passing for the Broncos. And the Broncos now, the Broncos have been team I've been kind of like saying has been better than people have expected. Okay. So the Broncos right now, same record as the bills, same record as the Colts, same record as the Browns, same record as the Bengals. Okay. I know no one wants to see this team make the playoffs, but they're like 20, 25% chance potentially to get into the playoffs at this point. And they're going to play the Bengals next week. That is a game. That is a big game for playoff implications and who's going to end up getting in here. It's not going to fully swing you either direction, but it's almost one that you kind of really need or else you need a lot of other things happen to go right there. And that's a game I'm going to be interested in. You have anything to say about this game? Anything to say about the Broncos? What you think about them as a potential playoff team? Other than you don't want to see it. I, I don't want to see it. I am a big Teddy Bridgewater fan. Minus one and a half points uh, Denver kind of opened up as against Cincinnati. So they are favored in this matchup. Uh, 55% break-even percentage. So if they win that game, uh, they are definitely in control of their own destiny to make the playoffs, which is definitely uh, kind of an interesting thing. I think they have... Um, what are they at? Like the 21st most difficult schedule remaining. So uh, not too many difficult matchups on the horizon. If they, you know, can handle business here, uh, they might be the team that kind of squeezes into that seventh spot in the AFC, uh, despite, you know, what probably most people want right now. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of those lines where if you asked 100 people, they would probably like 98 of them would not think and the two would be Broncos fans 38 of them would think that the Bengals would be favored in this matchup versus what we see so again continually a team that their optics from a general perspective in there there is not nearly as strong as what the internals are for the actual team okay our last game here Giants and Chargers Chargers nine point favorite against Mike Glennon the fighting Glennons uh, 44 total. They almost get, get that themselves. 37 to 21 chargers. My adjusted score 34 to 12. So not that much difference. Uh, again, dominating performance, uh, chargers defense is something that you're going to want to see play a little bit better. And I guess they did, but against Mike Glennon, I don't know if you're going to hear that much. And the one takeaway I had from this one is, I don't know, Ben, if you noticed like midway through this game, I could almost hear something in the atmosphere, this sound, this like groaning, groaning sort of sound. And if you didn't know, there was a there was a collective uh, orgasm going on by all the film watchers on this Justin Herbert 64-yard touchdown. Oh, so, sorry, 59-yard touchdown to Jalen Guyton that went on a rope. Like, people were just going nuts and sharing everything of that. It was the moment of the year. It was ranked, you know, above 
your children being born, I think, for some people, like how important of a moment this was for them versus what I'm seeing. So, you know, Herbert continues to be that guy, but we'll see what ends up happening going forward for these teams. Again, don't know if we can take away a lot from this game, though, other than right. the fact that we got Thursday night coming up. So maybe we should talk more about that than anything else. Um, Chargers, Chiefs, Thursday night. I think Keenan Allen's going to be back probably for that one. Sounds we'll like end, it, yeah. We'll end up seeing that. Chiefs still three, three and a half point favorite in LA. It might be more Chiefs fans than there are Chargers fans in this game. Have any opinions on that one before we get out of here? If people want to get interested in Thursday night, since we're not going to come back until uh, I'm not going to be back with you until Friday. Yeah, definitely. I like I like the Chiefs a little bit minus four. I do think they're probably the only playable side. Fifty one and oh, a half up to point four total. Now. Okay, okay. It's up to four sure in a bunch of spots. Okay. If you have three and a half, definitely think the Chiefs are uh, a, a goal spot there. Uh, don't mind the Chiefs money line as well. Minus one ninety five price. Obviously tough to p- play heavy juice there. Um, I think Green Line likes the under a little bit at fifty one and a half. I don't necessarily really buy into uh, that. I'm not inclined to really take a Chiefs under uh, right now, given you know the expectation that if they are down, uh, they're going to be scrambling pretty heavily. If they're not down, uh, their defense. I still think is going to be able to allow some big plays to, to, to you know, Justin Herbert and that Los Angeles Chargers defense. So Los Angeles Chargers offense. I, I, I'm excited for this matchup. Um, I do think the Chiefs are probably the only playable side, uh, kind of like you said, but I do think Justin Herbert's going to be able to make some throws um, against this Chiefs defense that I think is a little bit overrated right now. So, so we'll see what, what, what is your takeaway initially from this? Yeah. Matchup? Yeah. I, I think, I think I'd probably lean that way also. I mean, I remember in their first matchup this year, that was back when the chargers were just converting everything and the chiefs were fumbling everything. And again, that was back when Patrick Mahomes was playing pretty well and he played pretty well in, in that game. So I think that'll be interesting there. Um, I'm glad that the chargers won this game against the giants because if they would have by some miracle lost that game and then lost this one, then we might, be talking about no Justin Herbert in the playoffs. And we definitely want that. They're ahead that. now of that seven and six, that thick seven and six tier that, that I talked about earlier. Their playoff chances are up, you know, 80, 85% at this point. So I think we're, we're excited about that. And this is kind of like a playoff preview-ish sort of game. They could meet again in the playoffs. We'll, we'll end up seeing. So I think this is like maybe the best possible offensive firework type of game. But will we get that? We're almost wondering more, will we get that from the Chiefs than will we get that from the Chargers at this point, at the same point in time, the Chargers defense has been very vulnerable, especially on the ground. So let's hope that, you know, Andy Reid doesn't think that we're going to, you know, this will be Derek Gore. There'll be a Derek Gore game or something. This one, Cause that, that will, that will drive me insane. Right. Yeah. He actually had a quite a few carries, even in the first half. Uh, I know. In match against I know that's Vegas, what I which was kind of interesting. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting. I will say final thought. On the Chargers-Giants, if you didn't see the dots of that Justin Herbert throw, I think they are even better than the film watching. So make sure you check oh, that yeah. out. I mean, the dots are always better. We, we, always we already better. know that. We, we always know that. I like, to, I like to watch the dots first and then, right. and then watch the And the then make film my later. film evaluation, right? Yeah, that's yeah. totally how I do it as well. So. All right. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining me. We went a little bit longer than normal, but that's because we're, we're getting deep. We're getting deep into these games here. So everyone, uh, make sure that you rate and review the pod. I'll be back at you. I think it's just going to be me on Friday, although I may bring Ben in to talk about some of his favorite plays, uh, his favorite degenerate betting plays for the weekend. And go ahead and follow 
uh, Ben on Twitter. What is it? Is it is it PFF underscore Ben Brown? Is that what it is? It is. It is. It's it's nice and simple. Get that get that follower account up. I'll, I'll be tweeting some more this week for sure. Maybe not as much as Kevin, but I'm gonna get you know into the thick of the Twitter discussion here, giving my thoughts on you know subjective versus objective, all those other great like, things yeah, that everyone wants please to don't hear. Do that. So. <laughs> we do we do not need that anymore. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Ben's working a little too much to be tweeting as much right. as much as I am. So appreciate everyone, and I will be talking to you on Friday. Thank you.